All right. Well, good morning, Greenhouse family. Whether you're listening live and in person or online or even later on over podcast or on the website, it is so good to be together on this Memorial Day weekend. I know there's a lot of people out of town traveling and and things like that. So praying that's a restful time. Um, but for those that are listening to this, we are going to dive in. Jason actually asked if I could push pause on the current series that, that he's doing called The Journey, um, kind of walking through seven different phases of our faith journey. But we're going to hit pause today. And Jason asked if I could do a standalone message. And so it's kind of fun when you get to do a standalone message, you literally have the entire Bible um, to choose from. That's free game. Um, but it's also incredibly difficult to choose sometimes. And so um, I was earlier this week just thinking, what is what does God have for me to share? And um, apparently the best way to get some, some good inspiration is over fish tacos. So I was actually having lunch with, with the buddy Sam earlier this week, and he was telling me about this amazing book that he was reading called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So there it is there on the screen. And it's by a man named W. Philip Keller. And so shout out to Sam for the recommendation on this book. He was talking about how it was so impactful for him and his own faith journey. And so today we're actually just going to use this book as a resource to kind of help us walk through Psalm 23. And we're only going to skim the surface of what this book um, entails. Um, so I recommend grabbing a copy yourself and reading the entire thing because it's powerful. Um, this man Keller was actually born in 1920 and he grew up in East Africa. And as a young man, he spent eight years as a sheep owner and a shepherd. And he writes this book completely based on his own perspective and his firsthand experience as a shepherd. So he talks about how while he lived in East Africa, they used some very primitive um, shepherding customs and methods that were actually very, um, had very similar parallels to um, shepherding in the, in the Middle East during, during the times of, of King David and, and Christ and things like that. And so as I personally read this book this week, I, I found his personal experience extremely helpful for me and kind of going um, into a different perspective and understanding Psalm 23, because it's a Psalm that's loaded with metaphors and imagery and symbolism. And so this is helpful. The author of Psalm 23 is, is King David. And so if you know anything about David, he was actually a shepherd himself for many years. And um, as David writes this, I think he uses these metaphors and imagery um, very intentionally, just as Christ did when he would teach and, and teach in parables using, you know, everyday ordinary household things or, or things in nature. He would use these things to, to communicate a spiritual truth. So it's so much deeper than just trying to over-spiritualize over something, a physical object or something like that. But this is to communicate a truth in a way that we as readers can understand. And so we're going to let three shepherds today, Jesus, King David, and this Philip Keller actually guide us through each of these six verses through Psalm 23. And my prayer that as we study this is that we can gain two things. One, just a greater awareness of who we are as humans, as followers of Jesus, as, as we look at the nature of sheep and, and see ourselves in that view, but also that we would gain a greater appreciation of who 
God is and the character of the shepherd. And so I pray that it speaks to you. Uh, may this book be a resource as we dive in. Um, and I just pray that God would speak to us through this. So we're going to start out but it's by reading Psalm 23. And it'll be up here on the screen. And let's see how God wants to speak to us. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close behind me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing me, my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. All right, so let's dive into it verse by verse. So verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Right there in one verse, what more encouragement do we need than that? The Lord is my shepherd and I have all that I need. I feel like we could just tear down this morning already and go home early after reading that. But it's powerful because the Lord is my shepherd. Those five words are loaded with meaning. I feel like there's two key implications just in those five words. The first one being that God exists, that there is a Lord over all things, a creator who reigns supreme. And so we have this assumption that God exists. And then number two, that this God has some sort of authority or ownership over King David, over his creation. And so typically we as humans don't love the thought of being under authority or control. We want freedom. We want to be in charge, right? So it's my life, my body, my schedule, my rules, my time, my justice, things like this. We love being sovereign over our lives. And I think that's natural as humans. That's something we experience. But if you look at David as he's writing this, you can see that he exalted over the fact that the Lord was his shepherd that the Lord was his master and had ownership over him. So why do you think David said that? I believe it's because David knew the character of the Lord. He knew the character of God. He knew the Lord was good and would give everything to care for his sheep. There's some really deep irony here, actually. As, as sheep, freedom is found in submitting to your master, not in being the master. So freedom is found in knowing you aren't actually in control, but that someone of far greater strength and wisdom and power and love is in control. That's where true freedom is actually found. So in his book, Keller gives us a really cool look into how his sheep came under his own authority. And so I'm just going to read a little bit from this book as he's describing becoming an owner of his sheep. So he says this, I recall quite clearly how in my first venture with sheep, the question of paying a price for my use was terribly important. They belonged to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the depression. 
And when I bought that first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were in, that they were in very truth a part of me and I a part of them. There was an intimate identity involved with, with that, though not apparent on the surface to that casual observer, nonetheless made these 30 ewes exceedingly precious to me. So the main idea here as he describes purchasing his sheep is that it is sacrificial, that God as a shepherd sacrificially lays down his life to purchase his sheep, to purchase us. And so this is powerful um, that we are precious in his eyes enough that, that he would lay down his life. And, and scripture talks about this often in John 10, 11, Jesus himself actually says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And then in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, Peter says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. So we have this truth that being a shepherd is sacrificial. Like it's sacrificial love. It costs a lot for the shepherd to adopt and to own and bring sheep into his flock. But what's really cool here, if you notice, is in this John verse that we just read, it says Jesus is the shepherd. But if you look ahead in that Peter verse, it actually talks about how Jesus is the lamb, the spotless lamb of God. And so there's some powerful theology going on here in these references. So we know that Jesus, if he's a sheep, he's fully human. But as shepherd, Jesus is fully God. And so this theology of God is 100% or Jesus is 100% God at the same time, 100% man. And so I just thought that was amazing as I read through that and seeing the, the identity of Jesus is both God and man, the sheep and the shepherd. So here in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. This is basically telling the gospel. It's telling the story of how the Lord has become our shepherd. And that's through his grace. That's through his purchasing us by his blood and, and bringing us into his family and that through simply coming to him in faith, we belong to him. As sheep, we belong to the shepherd. The Lord becomes our owner and our shepherd. And this is an amazing truth that we can't miss here, right in verse one. So moving down to the second part of that, while the NLT version here on the screen says, I have all that I need, uh, the NIV version actually says, I lack nothing. And the King James version says, I shall not want. All three of those speak to the same truth, right? We have all we need in Christ. We don't need anything else. And, and as a Christian, I, as I hear those things, I have to ask myself, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, do I really believe that I lack nothing? Do I really believe deep down that I have everything I need through Christ? So when, when a sheep have a really good shepherd, Keller talks about how these sheep are satisfied, that they're perfectly content, that they're at peace and at rest because they have a good shepherd. So in our lives, the question becomes, we repeatedly need to ask ourselves, is Christ enough in our lives? Or do we have places of discontent or, or dissatisfaction or, or fear or um, anxiety or, or sinful things within us 
are we content in Christ? Are we still seeking fulfillment through something else? And so last week we've been talking about um, this awareness of self, like praying that prayer in Psalm 39, where it talks about how um, basically God search me and know me, test my anxious thoughts, um, reveal these inner thoughts within me and bring them to my attention so that you can do a work in me. So it's this crying out, God, if I am not completely satisfied in you, show me this and show me how I can be satisfied in you. Help me to believe deep in my heart that you are my shepherd and that I lack nothing, that I have all that I need in you. And so that's a powerful part of this verse one that, w- that we can um, just be challenged by. Do we believe that Christ is sufficient for us? So transitioning back to, to this author, Philip Keller here, he quickly realized that after buying his sheep, sacrificially giving every penny that he had to purchase them, that after that, the laying down of his life continues. It actually becomes even more intense after purchasing a sheep because they're needy. These sheep are needy animals. And so I'm going to read just a bit more from, from his book. So listen to this. He says, but the day I bought them, I also realized that this was the first stage in a long lasting endeavor in which from then on, I would, as their owner, have to continually lay down my life for them if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. So as I was, as I was reading that, uh, something came to mind. Um, Allie and I just became parents for to our second daughter um, a month ago yesterday. And so uh, Allie gave birth to little Lindy Jane on April 28. And so I was thinking about that. Imagine if Allie were to say right after having Lindy, you know, I did the hard work of labor and delivery. I brought this life into the world. Uh, it was difficult. Now I'm tired. I, I'm spent. I gave everything in giving birth. So you know what? I think I'm just going to take a couple years off and, you know, she'll be fine. She'll, she'll survive just fine on her own for a couple of years. I'll check back in you know, when she's two or so and see how she's doing. But you know what? I could really use a break. I'm I'm just spent. Like, that's insane, right? Like, we don't think that way as parents. As parents, yes, it's a ton of work bringing life, well, at least for the wife, bringing life into this world. But then that's when the real work begins. That's when for the next 18 plus years, you are shepherding your child. You are raising them. You are taking care of their needs, making sure they have whatever they need to to mature and to thrive and, and to be protected and things like that. And so every single day moving forward, like when you bring your baby home, that's when the real work begins. That's when you're tired and you can't sleep and, and mom is feeding the baby constantly. That's that hard work of caring for a child. And it describes sheep as the same way. They take meticulous care every single day going forward after they are brought into the flock. And so in the, sh- in the same way, the shepherd is not off the hook after buying his sheep. And so these last five verses of Psalm 23 describes how the shepherd meticulously cares for the sheep that are now under his care. So moving forward to verse two, it says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. So Keller talks about four ways that 
um, keep sheep from resting in peace and having rest. It's impossible for them to lie down if any of these four things are, incur are occurring for them. So the first one is they have to be free from all fear. So fear of predators or just their, their environment, their surroundings, they have to be free from all fear. The second one is that they have to be free from, fi from friction with other sheep. And so others within the flock, you know, if one's out of control or, or nagging them or whatnot, like they won't experience peace themselves. Number three, they have to be free from aggravation of pests and flies. And then number four, they have to be free from hunger and thirst. Are you beginning to see why the Bible describes humans as sheep? <laughs> it's crazy, right? All four of those things are also things that annoy me. Um, you could just ask my wife, Allie, if I am hangry, if I'm hungry, like you don't want to be around me. If there's a fly in my face, in my ear, that is annoying as can be. And that's all I can think about, right? There's no peace. There's no rest in those moments. And so Keller goes on to say that it all depends on the diligence of the owner, whether or not his flock is free of disturbing influences. It is actually he who makes it possible for, the, for his sheep to lie down, to relax, and to be content. It is the work of the shepherd to bring peace. We can't forget that. We can't miss that. It is the work of the shepherd to bring peace and rest. So Keller talks about how you don't just stumble as a shepherd upon green pastures or, or, uh, or green meadows. This took grueling time. It took grueling work in these pastures, removing stumps, removing rocks, um, preparing the soil and planting crops and then irrigating them so that this would be a lush, fertile pasture for a sheep to graze in. And, and in hard seasons, if he failed to do the hard work of preparing the pasture and drought would come, then the sheep couldn't eat. They wouldn't have the crops and the, and the, and the grass to eat to, to sustain them. And so the shepherd had a huge role in preparing these meadows and pastures for the sheep. And in the same way, the shepherd also had to know where the best drinking spots were. So if he were to, if he were to take his flock to a dirty drinking hole or, or an area of water that was contaminated or had parasites or was just dirty water, that was going to be an issue. Um, all kinds of disease and, and issues for the sheep would come from that if they drank, if they drank that water. And so it was really, really important for the shepherd through all seasons to know where the best drinking spots were, to know where the best pasture was and how to make sure his sheep were, were fed and, and had the water that they needed or else they'd only have a few days to survive. And so the shepherd had to go in advance and prepare each of these things for his flock. So the well-being of the sheep always depended upon the work of the shepherd. The only job that the sheep had was to stay close to their shepherd, right? Like, think about that on our own faith journey. Our job is not to figure everything out. It's tempting for me to want to control everything in my life and to make sure everything is perfect. But so much of that type of control misses out on trusting in God's sovereignty and that he has gone before us and done the hard work and has prepared um, he is the living water. He is the bread of life that we need. He has given us everything we need already. We need to stay close to our shepherd. That is the main idea here. So if 
every now and then a sheep would be stubborn and would abandon the shepherd and and kind of wander off and do his own thing. He would miss out on the water and, and the pasture that the shepherd had for him. And so keeping close, close proximity to the shepherd would result in peace and, and being filled and rest for, for the flock. And so there's that, there's that whole concept of, of abiding and staying close to our shepherd and knowing that in his presence, we can have assurance that he will take care of us. He will give us everything we need to be at peace. But running in search of our own pastures is where we get into trouble. Okay, so verse three, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. So I'm going to put a, a picture here up on the screen. So this is a picture of a, as Keller refers to, a cast sheep. So Keller describes this in detail. He talks about how a cast sheep is when a sheep, like that picture shows, falls over, um, oftentimes due to a sheep being pregnant or having just really, really thick, heavy wool, and they become unbalanced, and they oftentimes will fall over, and they'll have all four limbs up in the air, and it looks kind of silly. This other sheep looks like he's looking at him like, what's wrong with you, sucker? But what's going on here is that when the, when the sheep would become cast like this, they would begin over time to lose all circulation, and their organs could begin to shut down, and it was really, really dangerous. And so the shepherd had to continually be watching to see if his sheep ever became cast. And he would have to immediately um, sprint over, run over to his sheep that were cast and lift them or prop them back upright. But even when they were upright, he, he couldn't just let them walk off on their own because they would stagger and they would fall because they still didn't have circulation um, in the right way through their limbs. And so the shepherd literally would have to kind of massage out uh, the limbs of the sheep. And so that could regain circulation and blood flow. And then they could be on their way and begin to, to walk again and maintain their strength, regain their strength. And so again, the shepherd is crucial. Sheep are weak. They are helpless in a lot of situations. And so the shepherd is the strong man in their life. He is the one who can come and restore their strength and rescue them when they are in, in trouble and, and when they're helpless. And so he renews my strength. That is what our shepherd does time and time again. And then the second part of this verse talks about guiding us along right paths, bringing honor to his name. So what's interesting about sheep is that they have to be led. They're not like cattle who you can just take a cattle prod and, and, you know, drive them forward, you know, from behind. No, they had, sheep had to be led. They had to be guided uh, to the right place. And so an important thing for the shepherd was that he had to know his pastures well. And um, sheep needed to be relocated often to different pastures because if they would graze in one area for a long period of time, they were going to kind of kill the land. There wouldn't be any, any pasture left. And so over time, the, the shepherd had to be preparing other pastures um, and having to guide his flock to new pastures so that they can have fresh um, ground to live on. And, and so what happened is every now and then you'd have stubborn sheep who wanted to stay on this dead land because they didn't want to follow the shepherd somewhere else, whether they were comfortable there or 
They, they had just gotten used to that land. Being stubborn as a sheep would actually lead to their self-destruction. Um, if the shepherd, shepherd didn't go and bring this stubborn sheep back to this new pasture, they would eventually die on, on barren ground, on dead land. And so Keller actually talks about this again in his book, and he, said, he describes it this way. He says, just as sheep will blindly, habitually, stupidly follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic goalies. So we humans cling to the same habits that we have seen ruin others' lives. The stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient sheep that persists in pursuing its own paths and grazing on its own polluted ground will end up in a bag of bones on ruined land. It reminds me of, of that proverb that talks about how a dog returns to his own vomit time and time again. Like it's disgusting, and we might even know that. Our old habits, our old sin patterns, um, our, our baggage that we've left in the past, we keep coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it because maybe it's familiar. Maybe it's still got a little bit of temptation left. Like that was, that was enjoyable for a time. And, and that's basically what he's saying here. And we are stubborn and we follow our own paths and we go back to our own ways time and time again. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Christ, the iniquity and the sin of us all. And there it talks about how we leave God's path time and time again. We stray to follow our own thing. So the question that I think that leaves for us is, will we surrender to God's path? Do we really trust that God's path is the best path, that his pasture that he's leading us to, that's fresh and that's been renewed, is the best path for us? Or do we like to stay where we're at, where it's comfortable, where it's safe, where it's predictable? But our shepherd loves us and has better things for us if we'll only trust him enough to follow on his paths that bring glory to his name and bring um, a better way of life for the sheep. He doesn't want us to walk down destructive paths. He has something better for us. Verse four, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So this is actually a critical turning point in Psalm 23. So these verse, um, these first three verses, one through three, describe what like life is like in the pasture, where the meadows are green and where there's plentiful rains, and and this takes place during the spring and the winter months. But as a shepherd, you know that these lush conditions can't continue all year long. Um, what comes next is the summer months that are hot and dry, and oftentimes there'd be seasons of drought. And for the sheep, this was a time where they were at higher risk for attack of wild animals, um, for not being able to be fed or, or having the right living conditions or the water to drink that they, that they needed. So hence, this is why David calls this, these summer months, the darkest valley, the valley of death. But the shepherd's goal wasn't to leave them in this valley. They had to travel through the valley for a time as they worked their way to higher ground. But that's the goal of the shepherd, to lead the sheep to higher ground. 
But the reality is they had to go through the valley of death, the valley of darkness to get to where they needed to be. So what's interesting in verse four is that the pronouns actually change. If you notice that verses one through three, David talked about the shepherd as he, God was his shepherd. But here in verse four, David changes it to, um, he talked about his shepherd. It said, you are close beside me, God. That's a big difference. As he's walking through the valley of death, it requires an even deeper level of intimacy to where David's not even talking about his shepherd or the shepherd. He's talking about his shepherd. This is powerful because this implies that, that the shepherd is no longer walking, you know, ahead of the sheep. But notice in verse four, it says, he's close beside me. My shepherd, you, God, are close beside me. So there's this intimacy that God's presence is with us through the darkest valleys. His presence is right there next to us. And this would give the sheep an incredible assurance and confidence that even through this dark valley where they are probably terrified, that they can move forward, they can keep going because their shepherd is right there next to them, that his eyes are locked on them and their eyes are locked on their shepherd. And because they have this close, intimate relationship, they will be okay. And so that's what's going on here in verse four. And what's also really, really cool about this is that primitive shepherds traveled really light, but they carried two essential tools with them. Um, it talks about the rod and the staff. So the rod, um, that that's the best image I could find there on your screen. But the rod was kind of a, a club-like tool that, that they would hold in one hand, and it was used as, as a sort of authority over your own flock. And so if sheep were, were out of control, if they were um, going at each other or wandering off, the shepherd could use this to kind of club them over the head and say, hey, you stupid sheep, um, come on back. That's not what we're doing. That's not the best way. And so that would be a powerful instrument for the shepherd to use that, that the sheep would stay under his authority. Um, but it also was used to protect them from, from predators. Um, he could fend off wild animals that were around and, and it was used to protect his flock as well. And the staff, on the other hand, it's this long, um, long rod basically with this hook on the end, but this was a much more, um, gentle or guiding weapon, not, not weapon, but, but tool that the shepherd could use. And so when, when sheep would, would become pregnant and have, have lambs, this staff could be used to actually put around the neck of these, these baby lambs and, and lift them to their feet for the first time. They could bind up, um, he could lift up, uh, sheep that were injured and raise them back to their feet. Or he could even use the staff or the, yeah, the staff to, to guide and lead and point and direct the sheep and the flock in a certain direction. And so what's absolutely beautiful is that the rod symbolizes the word of God. It talks about how the rod is our authority and the word of God is our authority. It rebukes and corrects us. It protects us from going wayward. That's what the word of God does. That's why we need God's word to protect us from going wayward, that we have this authority above all else. We stay true to the word of God. Meanwhile, the staff symbolizes the Holy Spirit, which gently guides and comforts 
and, and leads us. Our shepherd Jesus has given us everything we need to follow him, his word and his spirit, everything we need to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We can go through it with confidence because we have the rod and the staff, God's word and the Holy Spirit. But let's admit it, like if we're being completely honest, it is really hard to go through these dark valleys, to live in the valley of death. You know, we all have personal valleys, right? We have tragedies in our lives. We have um, relational pain. We have dark experiences, sin issues, addictions, um, financial pains, um, and on and on and on again, um, whatever it is, job loss, uh, marital issues. These are personal dark um, things that our hearts and our, and our minds and our souls experience. And these can be really dark seasons for us personally. Um, in this room, I know there's a lot of different experiences and, and we all have um, really dark valleys that, that we've experienced or we're going through right now. But on top of all of that, we also see that in our community, in our country, and in our world, we are living in the valley of death. I hate to say it, but the wages of sin is death and our world is broken and we are sinful. And you don't have to look far to see just the tragedies in our own community recently and, and the sicknesses all around us. Um, it's been devastating to, to hear the news of what happened in Texas this week. And that stuff doesn't make sense. That is hard. That is the valley of death, guys. We're living in it. Our world is broken and we're struggling and things just seem to keep getting worse. It's hard to know what to do with this. And, and honestly, I don't have all the answers to this. I have a lot more questions than answers. But what I can be encouraged by is what David says here, where he says, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. So this assurance of God's presence and of his love always being there is really what gives us hope in the midst of our darkest valleys. Like without his presence, without his love, I can't imagine going through some of the things we have to endure as humans in this broken world. But because of that, presence of God, we can have hope that even in our pain, even in the darkness, even in the hardship, God loves us. He's guiding us. He's leading us and he will never forsake us. And that's what we can put our trust in through the darkest valleys. And that's what the sheep had to do during those tough summer months. Verse five, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. So verse five, when I would read this in the past, I'd often think that, okay, David's kind of making a, a pretty big shift here from, okay, we're talking about sheep and shepherds to all of a sudden we're talking about a feast and a table. Like now we're eating, what's going on here? But as we looked into this and as Keller describes what's happening here, he talks about how in these mountainous areas, as they come out of the valley and they head up these mountains, there would be 
tabletops or these plateau areas or mesas. Mesas mean tables where there'd be flat land, kind of like these, um, yeah, just these plateaus where the flock and the shepherd could come and find rest from their steep climb. And so this was a place where the shepherd could come and, and check out all the sheep, make sure they weren't sick or injured, um, that they were doing okay. It's a place for him to bind up his injured sheep. And so Keller also talked about how on these tabletop areas, the flies would become so bad and they would just irritate the sheep to no end. Have you ever had that annoying sheep or that gnat in your face or in your, or in your ears? That is so annoying. So what the shepherd would do is he would um, bring with him this homemade oil that he would smear over the nose of the sheep and also on the, on the top of their heads. And he talks about how almost immediately after applying this, this oil or this ointment, that it would soothe the sheep and that the flies that were around them wouldn't even bother them, but that they could calm down and lie in peace. I think that's amazing. And how often do we have these little distractions or annoyances that repeatedly pick at us as humans, right? What is God's remedy? What is his oil for our distractions, for our annoyances? Well, the scripture also says that the Holy Spirit is what um, anoints our, our, our minds and renews our minds on a daily basis. That the Holy Spirit is this oil, is the remedy to give us joy to give us peace, to give us contentment in the middle of annoyances, in the middle of frustrations, when things are just picking at us repeatedly, the Holy Spirit renews our minds. So when it talks about our cup overflowing, that's a reference to the fruit of the Spirit overflowing from within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When the Spirit is renewing our minds, when, when our minds are anointed with the Spirit, we overflow with these things. And that's what I was talking about, how our cup overflows with blessings. Maybe it's not prosperity and wealth and, and all of our greatest wants are, are answered. The magic genie God, right? That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about how we experience the Spirit of God which gives us an inward joy and hope and peace and love. Those are the blessings that it's talking about here. And so um, that happens in the presence of our enemies. Not when God wipes out our enemies, not when God fixes everything in our life, but in the very presence, just like in our darkest valleys, but in the presence of our enemies, that's when God wants to comfort us and renew our mind the most and show us that we can have peace in him through, through all of those things. Verse six, here we go. The very last one. This is so, so very good. As David, as David wraps up his Psalm, he says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So this vinyl verse kind of sums up everything that David's been saying up to this point. So far, we've seen just a glimpse of how much goes into shepherding wayward sheep. But that question is, why does a shepherd do it? What would drive a shepherd or motivate a shepherd 
to go to all this work. Keller says it best in his book. He says, all the care, all the work, all the alert watchfulness, all the skill, all the concern, all the self-sacrifice are born of his love. The love of one who loves his sheep, loves his work, and loves his role as a shepherd. Shepherds love their sheep. That's why they do it. They never stop pursuing the well-being and the maturity and the, and the, and the, and the goodness for their sheep. We talked about how the shepherd, you know, literally lays down um, everything that he owns to purchase his sheep. But then day by day, he takes care of their needs. He delights in seeing them survive the, the elements and the conditions and seeing them come to full maturity. If earthly shepherds who do all of these things and care so deeply, but yet they're mortal, they become weak, they become tired, they eventually die. But we know Jesus, our great shepherd, is everlasting. He never grows weak or weary. He never grows tired of his job. He never grows frustrated with his people and his sheep to the point where he says, I'm done. I'm out. You've disobeyed enough. You've been stubborn for this long. I'm out. Our God does not do that. He is gracious time and time again. And his, his love truly is unending all the days of our lives. Guys, that is the promise that we've got to cling to. God will never fail us. All the days of our life, he will pursue us. He will shepherd us. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will never grow weary in doing good on our behalf. So that's the character of our shepherd. He is so good. But what also struck me was that the psalm was written from the perspective of a sheep. King David, although he was a shepherd at one point in his life, he was writing this as a sheep, just like us, as someone under a shepherd. And what we notice here in this psalm is that David is boasting in his shepherd. Often we hear the word boasting and we think of arrogance or cockiness, right? But here, that's not what David is doing because he's boasting in God, his shepherd. It's a, it's a position of humility that David's recognizing that he is nothing, that he is sinful, that he is worthless on his own. But because of his shepherd's love and because of what the shepherd has already done, we belong to him. And so he is boasting in this relationship with his shepherd. Keller actually describes it this way. One final quote, he says, the sheep are so deeply satisfied with the flock to which it belongs and with its ownership of the particular shepherd. Sometimes I feel we Christians should be so much more like this. We should be proud to belong to Christ. We should feel free to boast about how good our shepherd is. I was challenged by this. The questions of, do I on a daily street level basis boast about the goodness of God? Going back to that overflowing, is the, is the spirit of God overflowing so much within me that people know 
about how good my shepherd is? Do I communicate that? Do I show that in my day-to-day life? And that second question, am I proud to be part of his flock? Am I proud to be part of the body of Christ that has been purchased by the blood of the spotless and perfect lamb and the, and the good shepherd? Guys, we have a really, really good shepherd. So whether we find ourselves in a lush season of pasture and green meadows, or things have been really, really difficult, and we find ourselves in a dark valley, um, the valley of death, I'm sure there's a lot of experiences in this room right now. We have to remember he is still good. He's not abandoning us. He's still there. He's fighting for us. He's delighting in us when we hear his voice and we follow it through it all. We need to stay close to him. Let's not be so concerned with trying to figure everything out to where we go our own way, to where we wander and we abandon our good and faithful and sovereign shepherd. So I'm going to end but just by reading verse 6 one final time, knowing that if you are a sheep, if you have been adopted through faith by God's grace into his family, that this promise is for you for the rest of your days. Verse 6, his goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And we will live with our shepherd forever. You know, sheep die. Sheep have um, a certain number of days and they don't have a soul. So when they die, they're done. But God has given us an eternal soul, guys. We get to live with our good shepherd in his presence forever and ever and ever. That is really, really good news. And he will, he will be worthy of our praise forever and ever and ever. So I pray that, that from this new perspective, looking at Psalm 23 through the lens of, um, you know, the sheep and our sinful human wandering nature, but also through the amazing character of our shepherd, God, that we have a greater appreciation for this Psalm and for the promises that God has for us. And so let's leave today knowing that he is good. He is for us. And and may we stay close to him every single day. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so very much for your word. um, That you bring psalms like this to life in new ways. God, that you want to teach us just the riches and the depth of who you are and and who we are by using um, language like sheep and shepherds and rods and staffs and streams and meadows. God, you use all these things to remind us that you have come to lead us, to guide us, to love us, to give us rest, to give us peace, and to help us experience abundant life here on this short earthly life, but also for all eternity in your presence. So God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are 
a good shepherd who has laid down your life for our sin, for our brokenness, for our waywardness, and that you promise to continue to lay down your life for us, leading us forward through dark valleys and through green pastures. So God, I, I just pray for everyone listening um, right now that you would continue to challenge us to abide in you uh, when it's tempting to go our own way, um, to see this world through our own lens, help us to come back to your word, to have our minds renewed in your spirit, and, and to follow your voice as our good shepherd every single day of our lives. We love you so very much. Thank you for loving us first. In your name we pray. Amen.